Father in heaven, thank you for the church. Please help us today as we reflect on what it is and what it can be. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the church. I have always loved the church. What do I mean by church? Well, I mean all of it. I love the building. I love the people. I love the worship service. I love the fellowship. I love the teaching. I love the mission. I love the church so much I had to make up some words. I love the generationality of the church. Yeah, that's a good one, right? All the different ages, the generationality of the church. I love the mixed racedness of the church. That's a good one. You can use that if you need it. I love the usness of it, the essence of us. I love the withinness of the church. You're, you're a part of it. The togetherness, the message, the purpose, the meaning. I love the church. And I love the Lord of the church, Jesus, the one for whom the church is the body. The church is awesome because Jesus is awesome. I love the church and, and I cry in my heart for it whenever I see it struggle. Whenever it reflects the coldness of our hearts all too well, I cry for it. I cry in my heart for it whenever its identity gets blurred by the insane complexity and confusion that the devil is always trying to foist upon it. Here's the church trying to stay on mission, trying to go where it's supposed to go. And it's, it's like the devil's constantly throwing this distraction and that distraction and this confusion on the body trying to split us, trying to tear us apart, trying to get us off course. I cry for the church in my heart when it flails about because its leaders are all too human. And when I say that, I'm speaking of myself here as the cause, not the conference brethren. I'm trying to deal with the plank in my eye before I worry about the speck in theirs. I cry for it when its leaders fail. I love the church. Through the church, I have received pretty much everything good that I have ever received in my life. The stability of my life has been enabled by and centered in the faithfulness of my ancestors who were evangelized to faith in Jesus by the church and taught by the same church how to live in a way that will bless the generations. The church taught my family how to be a blessing to me. And I am a blessed generation because of the faithfulness of the generations before. The church gave us this. I was early taught to praise the Lord by my mother and my father who brought me each Sabbath to the church 
where I sang hymns of praise at the top of my lungs with my squeaky child's voice. I still sing loud. If you ever sit near me, you know this. Alicia looks at me. I think she judges sometimes. I sing loud. I sing so loud I don't even have a voice to preach sometimes. I have to make myself sing an octave low so that I don't lose my voice. I love to sing in the church. One place I learned of Jesus was at the feet of a myriad of Sabbath school teachers that the church provided for me and my friends. I'm pretty sure they didn't all understand everything perfectly. But whether they were getting everything right in what they said or not, I don't seem to have been scarred too bad by it. Let me tell you what those teachers were absolutely getting right, even if everything wasn't perfect. What they were getting absolutely right was that by volunteering to spend time teaching me, they were showing me one of the ways that the church shows love to its kids. The adults invest back into the kids. That's what this vacation Bible school was all about. I was blessed and prospered and had great fun in schools that the church provided for me. I spent a few days in kindergarten at Spokane Junior Academy in Spokane, Washington. Six grades at A.W. Spaulding Elementary in Collegedale. Two years at Mount Ellis Elementary in Bozeman, Montana. A year at Wava, Walla Walla Valley Academy. And three years at SVA, Shenandoah Valley Academy. Ran into Steve Vogel today. Remember Steve Vogel? Went to SVA? Yeah. One of, one of our mates. I actually came a year after he was gone, but you know, we share that. The church gave us that. SVA gave me Alicia. <laughs> Very good. Thank you, church. SVA and a whole lot of work on my part, I don't mind telling you. Church gave me the chance, let's say it that way. The church gave me these things, and these things formed me. They shaped me, and they made me a part of the life. Of, they made me a part of the church for life. Even during the, during the years when I didn't really attend services all that much, I still knew I was a part of this. I've told you a little bit about the years when I was a chemical engineer and the different things, and that was a time in my life when I wasn't going to church that much and I was in Paducah, Kentucky and where I was living I would drive along this road and I would go past this little church, this little Adventist church that was beside the road. I'd never been there but there was this little Adventist church there. I didn't pray all that much in those days but for whatever reason whenever I would drive by that church I would just get this overwhelming impulse and I would cry out to God in my heart and say, Lord bless those people in that little place. Because I was a part of that. Little did I know that only about a year later, it would be in that very church that the Lord would call me to leave my life as an engineer and become a pastor. The church gave me that. 
I love the church. And that is why when the father tapped me on the shoulder and said, I hope you've enjoyed yourself, but now your engineering days are over. It's time for you to invest in what you and I truly love. I want you to be a pastor of the church. That is why when that happened, it wasn't hard for me to leave the one behind and embrace the other. And as it turns out, I'm not the only one. Alicia did the same thing. Turns out she loves the church too. How awesome is that? That's worked out really well for us. And it isn't just Alicia and I. There's lots of others who love and have loved the church. For example, Paul loved the church. Even churches full of people he'd never met. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Paul didn't even know them, but he loved them because they were part of the church. Verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Why? Listen, listen to Paul's dream for this church of people he doesn't even know. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is who the church is. This is what the church does. This is a description of what the church can be. This is the church I love. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not living in a fantasy world. I get it. The church isn't perfect. You've heard that from me. You've seen it with me, and you've even seen it in me sometimes that the church isn't perfect. And the lack of perfection in the church has hurt us sometimes, hasn't it? And even caused some to have certain emotions other than love for the church. I get that. I'm not going to judge. But I will ask this question. You don't love the church because it isn't perfect. Are you then saying you only love perfect things? I guess that would mean you don't love very much, do you? Because there aren't too many perfect things. You certainly can't love any real people if you only love perfect things. I love the church. 
even with all its flaws and failings. Maybe it's even a bit irrational of me to love it as much as I do. But I don't feel bad about that. Because Jesus has a far more right than me to be offended by the weaknesses and the failings of the church, yet Jesus loves the church more than I ever could. We're talking about frames today, or at least one frame. Any guesses which frame it is today? The church. We've got one more week of our summer series after this week. Pastor Steve next Sabbath is going to be talking about unity. Frames is the name we use to speak of the fundamental beliefs, the list of 28 statements of belief and understanding where together we have sought to explain our corporate understanding of the faith. We've called them frames in the series because the beliefs themselves are not the picture. Our faith is not narrowly in a list of propositional statements. These are the frames. Jesus is the picture. And the frames or beliefs are there to give the picture of Jesus the frame that will best bring out the detail. So if you were to go to the Seventh-day Adventist Church website, up at the top of the page you'd see a heading for beliefs. If you clicked there, you'd go to a page that summarizes the beliefs. If you went down on the right-hand side, you'd see a link for a PDF for the 28 fundamental beliefs. If you clicked on that one and went down to number 12, here's what you would find. The church. The church is the community of believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In continuity with the people of God in Old Testament times, we are called out from the world, and we join together for worship, for fellowship, for instruction in the Word, for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, for service to humanity, and for the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. The church derives its authority from Christ, who is the incarnate Word revealed in the Scriptures. The church is God's family. Adopted by Him as children, its members live on the basis of the new covenant. The church is the body of Christ, a community of faith of which Christ Himself is the head. The church is the bride for whom Christ died that He might sanctify and cleanse her. At His return in triumph, He will present her to Himself a glorious church, the faithful of all the ages, the purchase of his blood, not having spot or wrinkle, but holy and without blemish. This is the church. We have history. We have purpose. We have life today. And we have a glorious future. We are the church. And it is important that we know what that means and what the church is supposed to be doing. So let's break this statement down a bit and add some Scripture so we can be sure what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. The first line, the church is the community of believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Here's what you need to understand. You automatically become a part of the church when you put your faith in Jesus because the church is the community of those who believe in Jesus. 
And that is no small thing. Because in order for you to believe in Jesus requires a divine act. We've talked about this before. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Catch this. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. We've spoken about this profound passage before at length, but we need to remind ourselves of what's being said here because this is foundational to our self-understanding as the church. The line that Peter says, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, you are the anointed one, the Son of the living God. This statement, this confession is the foundational confession of the church, and it represents a heart conviction that every one of you who believes has experienced. If today you believe that Jesus is the Messiah that the Scriptures prophesied about and that He is the Son of God, then you have had a divine experience within your own life. Here's the thing. You didn't figure this out on your own. None of us did, for you see, there is no way on our own that we can figure out that this confession of Peter is truth. It cannot be proven by any means we have available to us as true. But it can be revealed to us as true. Another human can tell you that this statement is true, but only the Father in heaven, by means of the Holy Spirit, can bring the conviction to your heart that, yes, indeed, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Only the Spirit can give you that conviction. So that means that every one of you here today that truly believes you are the evidence of a divine act, a miracle of God's grace and revelation, for flesh and blood cannot reveal the truth about Jesus to you. Only the Holy Spirit can do it. So I ask you, do you truly believe? If you do, then know that a miracle has taken place in your life. Because the Father, by means of the Holy Spirit, has brought conviction to your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what happens when this comes upon us is it results in us taking action. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When the people heard all the things Peter was saying, they were cut to the heart. That's called conviction. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Guess who that is? That's us. All who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. If you have believed, it is because the Lord God has called you and you have followed. When we hear the voice of God through the Holy Spirit convicting our hearts that Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord, the Son of God, when that happens, we have to act. And that action is what makes us the church. Acts 2, verse 40. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Doesn't it make you wonder what he'd say about our generation? Verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You see, when you believe, you get added to the church, to the group of those who already believed before you, to the group of those who believed before us. When we believed, we got added to the church that's been going on since the time of Jesus. And when we get added, we become a part of something great. Ephesians 2, verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. That's the church. This is how we become the church. And this is what we're supposed to do. Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians 3, verse 8. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, that's us, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So now, let this blow your mind because it is mind-blowing. It is central to our purpose as a people that we somehow make known the manifold wisdom of God. That's our job. We are to make known the manifold wisdom of God not just to people on earth, but to all the authorities in the heavenly realm. How in the world are we going to do that? I'm not sure wisdom is a word I would use to describe us sometimes. Step one in accomplishing this purpose involves our practical lives and our devotional practices. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What I'm telling you here is how we, how we manifest the wisdom of God. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And again, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's what we do. And when we do that, we manifest the manifold witness of God the manifold wisdom of God. So now what I just read you is the specifics of what the earliest church did. And while we may not be able to recreate every detail here, we need to at least, as the church, recreate the heart of this. And the heart of it includes, as the frame I read you at the beginning, includes as well these things. Worship, fellowship, instruction in the Word, the Lord's Supper, service, and evangelism. We must manifest these things in ourselves. And now let me just go on a little diversion here for a second. Worship, fellowship, instruction in the Word, and the Lord's Supper are things we do each Sabbath. We don't do the Lord's Supper every Sabbath, but we do it here when we come together as the church. What I want to say to you is coming to church is not a eh, whatever kind of thing. It is essential to our purpose that we gather to worship, that we gather to fellowship, that we gather to receive instruction in the Word, and that we gather for the Lord's Supper. And let me tell you something else in the context of instruction in the Word. You'll remember it says in Acts 2 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, I'm not claiming to be an apostle here, but I will tell you this. I have been appointed by the Lord on a weekly basis to teach you God's Word. You are appointed by the Lord to come and learn. I will be judged by the Lord on the quality of of my teaching of His Word. You will be judged by the Lord on the willingness of your spirit to come and learn. This is part of the church. God gives us different roles. It doesn't make me more special than anybody else. I could never pull off VBS. Never. I wouldn't even try. So somebody else is supposed to do that. But God has given me the responsibility to prepare words for you from the Scriptures on a weekly basis so that you can grow and continue to manifest the wisdom of God in your lives. And He holds me accountable to that responsibility. But He holds you accountable to come and to learn and to measure the things you hear by the Scriptures. Coming to church is not whatever. It's very important.
This is what the church does. But obviously we cannot do this without power. Do we have the power we need to accomplish these things? Worship, fellowship, instruction in the Word, the Lord's Supper, service, evangelism. Do we have the power in ourselves to do these things? No, we don't. But that's okay. Because Jesus has power. Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority. How much authority? All authority in heaven and on earth. Where does Jesus have authority? In heaven and where else? On earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, why is it we're going to be able to have power? It's right here. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We go in power because all power has been given to Jesus, and Jesus has promised to be with the church. And what is the result? When the church goes forth in the power of Jesus, well, amazing things happen. We'll go back to Matthew 16 for a second. Verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, this foundational confession that Jesus is the Christ, on this rock I will build my church, and maybe it'll do okay. No. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Here's what this means. When we, the church, are being guided by the Spirit to go and to do and to be what Jesus has called us to go and to do and to be, when we do that, then there is no power on earth or beyond the earth that can withstand us. And anything we accomplish will be accomplished in eternity. Amen. That's the power in the church. But none of this is to our praise or to our glory. The glory of the church is Jesus. And to Jesus goes all the glory for all that the church does. For on its own, the church is just as fallen and sinful and doomed as every other human structure and system on this planet. All the glory goes to Jesus. The church is the frame. But Jesus must be the picture in our frame. Colossians 1, starting in verse 17, he is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. The picture has to be Jesus. I love the church. 
because the church taught my family about Jesus, and by a miracle of grace from God, through the message of the church, my family believed. And in my generation, so did I. And so did you. And so could so many others believe what we believe. I have been both excited for and fearful of this message today because on one hand, I really want to tell you how much I love the church. And on the other, I know I can't even begin to tell you how precious the church is. I love the church, but I'm not the first to do so. Paul loved the church. Ellen White loved the church. In the book Acts of the Apostles, she wrote this. The church is God's fortress, His city of refuge, which He holds in a revolted world. Any betrayal of the church is treachery to Him who has bought mankind with the blood of His only begotten Son. From the beginning, faithful souls have constituted the church on earth. In every age the Lord has had His watchmen who have borne a faithful testimony to the generation in which they lived. These sentinels gave the message of warning, and when they were called to lay off their armor, others took up the work. God brought these witnesses into covenant relationship with Himself, uniting the church on earth with the church in heaven. He has sent forth His angels to minister to His church, and the gates of hell have not been able to prevail against His people. Through centuries of persecution, conflict, and darkness, God has sustained His church. Not one cloud has fallen upon it that He has not, that he has not prepared for. Not one opposing force has risen to counterwork his work that he has not foreseen. All has taken place as he predicted. He has not left his church forsaken, but has traced in prophetic declarations what would occur and that which his Holy Spirit inspired the prophets to foretell has been brought about. All his purposes will be fulfilled. His law is linked with His throne, and no power of evil can destroy it. Truth is inspired and guarded by God, and it will triumph over all opposition. During ages of spiritual darkness, the church of God has been as a city set on a hill. From age to age, through successive generations, the pure doctrines of heaven have been unfolding within its borders. Enfeebled and defective as it may appear, The church is the one object upon which God bestows in a special sense His supreme regard. It is the theater of His grace in which He delights to reveal His power to transform hearts. I love the church. But more important than that, God loves the church for the church is made up of those who have accepted the gift of salvation through God's Son, Jesus Christ. told you that I love the church. Maybe you heard me mention that. And I said I've loved it for a long time, and I just want to give you a little bit of proof on that. A little picture I want you to see here. If you know me well, you'll recognize that as my practically 
illegible handwriting. And it's even a little worse because I wrote it back when I was younger. I was, I was about Ariel's age when I wrote this. Let me read you what I wrote. I would like the church to be large with a huge sanctuary and a beautiful pipe organ. It should have plenty of nice landscape, including a big lawn and many shrubs and trees. The church should be the central point of the town. Now, other than the pipe organ, I described this place pretty well, didn't I? <laughs> How good is God to let me be in a place I dreamed about when I was 12 years old? I love the church. I love what it stands for. And in my heart and in my mind, the church is the center of everything. We come here and we, we share life and we go out to the other things that we do, but we come back here. This church does a really good job at being the center of a significant Adventist community, but I think we could do a little more to be the center of our part of town. But that's what God calls the church to do and to be. How do we do it? Well, we live the gospel. We do the stuff that they talk about in Acts 2. We do the stuff that's talked about in this doctrine. We fellowship and, and we learn the Word of God and we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we do evangelism. And what happens when we do that? Daily was added to their number those who were being saved. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. I love the church. Let's be the church together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, look upon us and own us as the church. Put your seal on us. Fill us with your Spirit. Enable us to do all the things you have called the church to do so that your manifold wisdom would be displayed through us. And Lord, add to our number those who are being saved. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.